We get to Hollyhead and we get on this coach, only it's going the wrong way. It only goes as far as the railway station. So he hops on this train to London, but the ticket fella puts us off at Landundo. Get off, he says. Go on, you just have to get off. So that night we sleep in the back of a bakery and we wake up in the morning freezing. We see behind this fence an open shed. Inside the shed there's this mattress, a lovely mattress just lying there. Don't know what it was doing there, but we could have slept on it. Real sick there it was. Anyway, we put the rest of our money together and get the coach tickets into London. From there we go straight to my mate's sister's place in Hounslow. Now there's nine of them there stopping in a place meant for only six. She says to me, mate, she says, she says, go home, go home, she says. I'm not taking responsibility for you. Go home, eh, that. I believe that when writing a wish you'd express as to how the fine ladies in London were dressed. Well, if you'll believe me when asked to a ball, they say don't wear a top to the dresses at all. Oh, I've seen them myself and you could not interrupt. Say if they were bought for a ball or a bath. Don't be starting them fashion now, Mary McCreed. Where the mountains of moon sweep down to the sea. So that night, you had to sleep in the back of the subway at Victoria Station. Now to get into it, you have to go around the back and climb in over two fences. That leaves about two feet of the entrance between your head and the entrance. A policeman comes around in the morning and he wakes you up. So next night we do exactly the same thing. And I'm lying there and I look up. And I see this big black fella looking down at me. Says he, you're looking for somewhere to stay, Paddy. You want some work? Work, says I. Work, says he. Which is a course I do. That's what I came over here for in the first place. So we all goes into Victoria Station <laughs> and we think that he's going to buy us breakfast. But he gets a taxi and we all go back to his place. Now it's a lovely flat, it's gorgeous. Straight away I look around, I see the television and the video and I'm thinking to myself, well if he starts up, we jump on him, duff him and rob the place. So he makes coffee, right? But he keeps peeking in and out just in case we're robbing his things. So after a while we have to leave because we have to go and sign on. So they send us all over the place, they send us everywhere. Eventually we sign on an elephant and castle but they won't give us any money. So that night, we've got to go back to the blackfella's place. Oh, Michael was his name. So he shows us up to the bedroom. There was only one little bed and a bit of a mattress on the floor. And I says, hold on, hold on a second, says I. Where am I going to sleep? He says, it's all right, Petty. You can sleep in here with me, but you'll be in your sleeping bag, so you'll be fine. Eh. So he puts on his pyjamas and we get into bed. We fall asleep. Well, before that, I'm thinking to myself, well, if he starts at him, I'll be able to burst his head wide open. But you know what he says to me, looking at me, he says, he says, you'll be very foolish if you tried it, and Paddy, he says. So I knock at me and me, mate. And we get into the beds and we fall asleep. When Jesus, in the middle of the night, don't I wake up, and your man's hand is up me hole. So I jumps out and switches on the light. And he says, he says, uh, what's going on here, Paddy? He says, oh, hold on a second, hold on a second, says I. I got to sleep on the floor and the matches with me, mate, says I. Yeah, he says, well, kindly do not disturb me again. I says, hold on a second. You're after having your hand up me hold, says I. He says, hang on a minute, Paddy, you were only dreaming. He says, oh, you'll be fucking dreaming. I says, if I catch you at that again. So we all go asleep and we wake up in the morning. Now, fair play to him. In the morning, he gives us our bus fares to get back into London. I've seen England's king from the top of 
station to the tea bar there and he meets a fella who tells us he has loads of work and all we have to do is go home and sign the forms. Fair enough, we do that. Straight away we see the fella's a spacer. Takes all his money and papers out of his pockets, puts them on the table, puts them back in again and keeps doing this over and over. So what he's not looking, I see a two-on-one so I robs it. And here, I'm standing there like this, putting me fist into my hand, you know, just in case he starts it. But he says to me, do you follow Celtic? Then he goes out to the phone box outside, pretending he's making telephone calls, so we can see through the window it's all a cut. Then he comes back in and tells us after trying to kill his girlfriend. Ask us how many years will he get? Now, this fella was a real spa, but deadly crack it was with him. So anyway, he won't let us out of our sight, you know, out of his sight. After a while, he goes out in the hallway, leaves the door open. So my mate goes out just to see what he's up to. And there's a man up on the stairs pulling his wire. And he's looking down, he sees the pair of us looking up at him, you know. So he jumps up and he hides it behind the pillow, runs off and makes a pot of tea. So that night, you know, we all get into the sleeping bags. We're having a grand kip when about six o'clock in the morning, the door doors open, the police run in, raid the place and arrest him. He can't stay here, they says. He can't stay here because he wouldn't like you to be here when he's not here. He'd only gone around to his girlfriend's place and tried to stab her with a knife. Anyway, they put us out. They wouldn't let us stay there because they knew we'd rob the place. I mean, when you're hungry, you have to rob, you know? I walk with the rest of them up and down between Mornington Crescent and Camden Town, pain in the belly, sore in the head, aimless, wandering, emigrant dead. I dug that hole, then filled it in. I'm buried there up to me chin. You can leave me in it, I'll tell no lies. And for traffic lights, you can use me eyes. I sit in caffs and drink black tea and try to think what's wrong with me. The night is weeping and full of cries, but I can't shine in, I've got no eyes. I've left them buried in London clay. They'll stay there now till judgment day. Flashing green and flashing red as the city roars above my head. In the pub you hear the saddest crap, straight from their souls into your lap. A fellow shouts, I left years ago, and there's no one there alive I'd know. There's a woman walking down the street, with autumn hair and winter teeth. I'd like to kiss and tell her lies, but she'd see my face hasn't any eyes. London tore them from the sockets, destroyed my mind, emptied out my pockets. The drink has all but ruined my liver, and the subbies sold me down the river. So I walk with the rest of them up and down, between Mornington Crescent and Camden Town, pain in the belly, sore in the head, aimless, wandering, immigrant, dead.
I was going through a personal crisis in my life. I was just feeling suffocated. I had to get out of Ireland. It didn't matter where, I just had to get away. I mean, it has to do with the way I was brought up, the way my parents were brought up, the environment we were brought up in. I mean, it's so heavily influenced by the church. How could I possibly know what I wanted to do when I was brought up with the attitude that you put other people first, that to think of yourself is selfish, and to do what you most enjoy is downright self-indulgent? I mean, in Ireland there's an attitude based on the suffering saints, that the more you suffer, the more saintly you become. I can remember at school the nuns were always asking after my mother in such reverential tones. Ah, your mother's an edifying woman. My mother, edifying. She was a deeply unhappy woman. She was a good woman, but no saint. I remember at her funeral, people were going around talking about her as if she were some kind of saint. And one of my aunts came to me. She was like a breath of sanity. And she said to me, wouldn't she make you angry? I mean, not telling anyone about the fact that she'd such a bad heart, keeping it all to herself. And I thought, yes. I was working in a hardware shop and one day I said to myself, I'm going to England. And one day over I came and I had no place or anything. There was no future for me at home in the hardware shop. It was a pub with a shop in the back and all the old gougers would come in telling their jokes and whatever and that kind of thing. And it was run by a nice little old man, about five foot one, always telling old jokes. So over I came. All my friends had gone. I rang a friend in London to see could he get me into the hostel. I rang him the night before I came over, but he was out, trying to find me a hostel. I'd given him such short notice. Of course, you can't book a hostel, not in advance. I thought at least I could stop in the house he lived in. So over I came on the boat. Seven o'clock that morning, I got into Euston. I waited and waited. And at last he turned up at eight. I was really worried. So he says, we were walking out of the station, I've got bad news for you. What, says I? You've got no place to stay. I says, you're joking. He couldn't put me up in his place. And the landlord was getting annoyed. People staying. So we searched and searched and searched, but we couldn't find anywhere for me to stay. So come seven that night, we went to Kilburn to see would I know anybody. I was afraid to ring home because my mother would have a heart attack. I was walking all day with my bags. I didn't know what to do. We'd go on the tube and then I'd sit outside the pubs, you know, with tables, bawling my eyes out. And he'd be off looking for somewhere. I'd sit there with my bags, bawling, crying. What on earth am I doing here? And people would walk past and they wouldn't say a word and me crying. God, let me home any minute, you know. So it's night, and I'm outside Biddy Mulligan's, bawling my eyes out. 
And then I phoned home and my sister answered. Try Joe, she says. That's my brother-in-law. I thought he'd be gone back. She says no. So I rang him. He was working in a hotel. And that night he put me up. Seagull, I hear you cry as when a lad I watched you wheel through sunny skies Or sail the wind over pounding surf and raging spray Seagull, I hear you cry and my heart gives a wrench Homesickness I thought long forgotten comes flooding in Seagull, I hear you cry, but when you do Don't you also hear me cry? Fishing or hunting in Kilburn, there's only Biddy Mulligans and the National. Saturday night, it's all Irish. Irish girls by the bucketful. It's a big place, the National. It's a dance hall, one of the biggest I've ever seen. Thousands go in, and all different balconies in it. You have a dance floor, and then you have one, two, three balconies, and there's a restaurant as well upstairs. There's about ten bouncers running about. And most of all, I miss his lips and eyes of. There's three bars on the floor, and there's two on the second floor, and two more on the top. About ten bars in all. I know a right lot of the bouncers from home. Some of them right rough they are. Friday night one of them had his, his knuckles skint and bleeding from wrapping some boy's head. He says to me he had to give some boy a hiding. These things have to be done. A bouncer's not supposed to touch at all. It's only supposed to be in self-defence if he does. One night me and we Congo were coming out, and I was talking to one of the bouncers I knew from home like. And there was a new bouncer there with a moustache and a wee Congo was looking at him. And this bouncer drew out, lifted his foot and kicked Congo as he was walking out. Then the police came. And oh yes, we were in the wrong. You've no illegal comeback with a bouncer. It's within a bouncer's rights to kick you. The 40 shades of green But most of all I miss a boy In Tipperary town To enjoy myself at weekends, I go up to Kilburn. You can go to Biddy Mulligan's where they're all Irish. It's like going into a pub at home. The first night I went there, I saw six fellas from back home. It was just as if they'd never left. There they were, up at the bar, their arms around their glasses, drinking away. God, you say, are you still over here? I thought you'd gone home long since. I think the fellas are much more homesick than us girls. The girls fare better. And at the dances, is better than home. You can enjoy yourself without anyone watching you. Here, everybody is just out for a good time and they don't care what you have on you or what you don't have on you in the way of clothes. In Kilburn, everyone is much friendlier. 
But the Irishmen, mostly anyway, they won't ask you to dance unless they're well-oiled. You can see their glassy eyes looking at you. They're shy. Even if you do get talking to a fella in biddies, they kind of want to get away from you. That kind of thing, you know. They'd just rather not be talking with a girl. But that's what I feel about it. I'd walk from Cork to Larne to see the 40 shades of green. One night, me and we, we, we Congo were coming out of Biddy Mulligan's and he went to hit some boy, two of them. We were walking on. Congo and the boy went really fighting, more or less arguing and pulling at one another. The police were standing around them. I said to the policeman, leave him alone, get a grip on yourself. I'll get a grip on you, he says. And he reached for me and took me and threw me into the back of one of those, you know, what do you call them? Paddy wagons, they call them over here, Black Maria. I said, you've no right to arrest me. You know the way you do when you have a few drinks in your skin. One of the cops says to me, why don't you go home, you wee Irish bastard, ye? He was a half-caste himself, like. I don't know from looking at him where he belonged to. They gave me a right hiding that night. Battering, slapped, punched. They sat me in the wagon, on the floor, for Congo had kicked one of them in the face, see, and ran away. What's your mate's name? Congo. Congo, that's all I know him as. That's true, a bloke tells you his name's Congo. You don't say Congo who, what's your mother's address? They put me in the cell. Asked a copper for a drink of water. Only a young boy he was. Fuck off, he says. You'll get no water. What's your mate's name? I tell you, I don't know. We're going to hold you here until you tell us. You can, I says. Oh, yes, we can. We can hold you under the prevention of terrorism. We can hold you as long as we like. We don't do things by the book anymore, he says. So I've noticed, I says. Then the sergeant came on duty and I asked him for a drop of water. And he opens the door and took me out and gave me a glass of water, no bother. Sign these two forms, he says. And that was that. It's rough in Kilbourne, fighting. I've been in six fights, fellas drunk. We only fight when we're drunk. The Cockney, he fights when he's sober as well. We fight with our hands. They fight with bottles and knives. You know, one night two Cockneys followed me into a pub, came after me, put a bottle on me, he did. The police don't care about the Irish. It's all to do with the troubles in the north, see? I was sitting down these steps in the streets like, let a fag, you know. Two cops came over to me and searched me, on suspicion, they said. Another time, plain clothes blokes stopped me. What have you got? Nothing, I says. You know where we are? They says. We're plain clothes. Ah, no, I says. Ah, you know, says he. I looked at him. Buy your plain clothes, I says. Uh, where did you buy them? Jumble sale? I was coming home from my girlfriend's house. It was bank holiday Monday, and I was out all day. Coming home about ten past one, a quarter past... Walking up the Quicks Road, I seen a gang of fellas at the corner, breaking the windows and trying to smash, trying to break the fence at the front. I thought there were fellas out of here messing, but when I got closer, I realised that they were screaming, come out, Paddy, and all in that. The Irish, they were wanting to have a row with them. So when I got round to the gate, they started throwing things at me, not hurting me, just at me back and that as I was running. I ran into the hostel, and a lot of the other lads were in the, in the hostel, you know, and I was saying, stupid, there's only eight or twelve of them out there, you know, and there's about forty of us. So Father Ryan says to me, go out and try to catch one of them. Think I was born yesterday. But I went out anyway. We just went out after them, and they all scattered and ran away. But the fellow I went after had a knife, and he got to the church, as far as that, and stuck it in me leg, roaring, laughing. That was it. English people make fun of your accent when they meet you. I don't take any heed of them. 
I give them back what I get. Many's the time the girls in the office will say, my God, all these Irish over here. I tell them we have to come because the English won't work. You start digging at seven o'clock, breakfast at ten, then you walk on till dinner time, then on to five o'clock, then home. It takes usually an hour and a half to travel back to the hostel. The safety is bad and they don't care. You can be replaced by another man in half an hour. They have no regard for your personal safety. It's get the job finished and nothing else. This is what is known as popular capitalism, and they have virtual immunity from the law. The first Sobi I went to was a frightening experience. I must admit he was the worst. I went up to him and asked him, did he have any work? And he says to me quite politely, to get into that feckin' van there and sit in the corner and shut up. I didn't like him from the start. He came in one day and he, he had his eyes on stealing a bottle of oil on the job. But some other fellow stole it before he did. He regarded that as oil improperly stolen from him. He was raging. Another day a fellow hit a live wire with a pick. He got an almighty bad dose of electric shock. In the evening he was paid. He refused to give the fellow who got the shock his bonus. He said he was a friend of the fellow who stole the oil. They had a great argument. And the fellow got the sack. Sobey was laughing and boasting how he sacked him, even though your man nearly got killed. Very nearly died on the site. All he got was the sack that evening. It's a 19th century atmosphere on the sites. I go to Mass every Sunday, but since I've been here I've never been to confession. I might go at Christmas. Here no one minds what you are. I'm a Catholic. People I work with, well, they're every class of religion. Protestants, what you call them, Church of England. Is the Church of England a religion? I don't know anything about religion at all. They don't care what you are here, so long as you do the job. At home, it's who you are. Some of my classmates, we all applied for a job that was gone with the Eastern Health Board. We knew we wouldn't get it because one of the girls' fathers was well in with the local politician. I had much better exam results than she did, but she got the job eventually. She got the job, I got the boat. Hmm, here it's fairer. Now we thought we were elected when we got on the boat coming over here. My mate was so sick drunk, all he did was get puked up all the way up the centre aisle of the carriage. Hey, you should have seen the face of the people looking at us. But I tell you, that wasn't why we got thrown off at Landundo. Ah, no, no. See, the night before we slept in the bakery, we tried to get into a disco there. And the bouncers wouldn't let us in, so we started slagging each other, you know. And he says to the bouncers, he says, tell us this much, does the Queen come here often? And your man says, the Queen? Of course she does. She loves Landundo. So I says to him, I says to him, well, mate, she better not come here tonight. Only pretended to be aiming a rifle, you know. But my mate grabs me and says, hey, you can't be saying those sort of things over here. So anyway, they chased us over, chased us way over. So next day, we're on the coach getting into London. Meets this girl from Wexford. Now, she's down the back of the bus smoking the weed, you know. So anyway, we stops at this big place, and I says to her, hey, would you kindly tell us where are we? She says, you know fucking well where you are, she says. And I didn't. Anyway, it was Birmingham. i tell you something. We've walked miles today, and we haven't got a bin. Now, somebody told us that in the evening standard, there's loads of jobs, but that costs 20 pence, and we haven't got a penny. You know, we'd do anything we would, walk anywhere, building sites. All we want is a bit of walk. Now, you see this form I have to fill out here? It says, uh, elephant, elephant in the castle. How would you spell elephant? I know a boy who got 10 pounds off the subby, and the subby told him he was going off to get the rest of his wages, and he never came back. The job <laughs> was done, and he had the fruits of the young lads walk for a tenner. I know lads who've done a week's walk and driving home the subby asked them to get out and push the van, and they do. There's nothing wrong with the van at all. The subby drives off and leaves the boys and he owes them the guts of £125 for the week's walk. What can you do? Fill the trenches in again? For nothing? For revenge? Getting ripped off is a way of life. I got this job stripping. Wallpaper. 
you know, with a steamer. Well, it steams the paper off the walls. It's a machine which you plug in. It was the first time me using it, but so there was no problem about how to use it. The machine had to be left back, you know, it was hired out. And I was just after finishing the whole room, you know, and I'd done it right quick. So he says to me I could take a half an hour's break. So I came back up and the plug was out of the machine. So I assumed the machine had been unplugged for at least a half an hour from when I left. But I hadn't unplugged it. It was only after being unplugged. And all the water had to be emptied out of it. So the boiling water and steam in it when I unscrewed it. It just flew up in the air and the boiling water and steam hit me in the face and over my chest. And I just stood there. You know, I couldn't believe it. I was so shocked. And all the water kept hitting me. So he took me into the next room and started throwing cold water on my face. At the time I didn't feel any pain. You know, I was so shocked. After two minutes the pain was very sore. And they took me to the hospital. And I can't claim. I can't get nothing. And all my faces. At night I put cream on it. I left home, my girlfriend, she's pregnant. I don't want to marry her. Why should I? I mean, why should I if I don't want to? She was a friend of my brother's. I went out with her. Anyway, she's pregnant. Her family and my own mother are on at me to marry her. On and on at me. I don't want to. I took a chance, she took a chance. It didn't work out, she's pregnant. going to the altar when I don't want to. My mother keeps phoning up. You've got to come home and face the music. I know what waits for me when I go home. I came to London. I didn't know what it was going to be like here, but I know what Belfast is going to be like. I know it so well. There'll be bombings and no work, no jobs, and I'll be married with a wee one on the way and no money other than the dole coming in. I don't want it. for me, I dread it. That'll be my mother. When are you coming home, son, to face the music? 
I know the music all right. I don't like the sound of it, even if I did have to write it. Do you understand what I mean? I like the girl. There's nothing wrong with her at all. I just, um, anyway, you know. I was pulled out of the Labour Exchange this morning, you know, on suspicion of murder. I was signing on, on my own. I was walking out and these two fellas are suddenly beside me. Are you living at such and such? Yeah. Come with us. That was this morning. I only got back at six o'clock. I've red hair. They took clippings of me hair and took blood. Now to me. A prostitute was murdered by a fellow with red hair over a year ago. I've only been in this country three weeks. The nuns told me why there were so many Irish among the down and outs. Well, they come over, you see, and, and they can't get anywhere to stay. And once you get stuck in that rot, you can't get out easily. I hate living in England. And I love nature. I grew up on a farm. And I know I'll return. I hate the unfriendliness of the big city. I love to know Tom, Dick and Harry. For instance, when I was sitting there with my bags and baggage bawling my eyes out, not one person stopped. They just looked at me like I was a weirdo. I know it's a big place, I know that. But there's no green fields. I like it. It's big. I feel peace here. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't feel free in Cork, no way. But to know you can do what you want when you want, to me that's everything. Know what I mean? I don't feel trapped here. I go to clubs sometimes to see live bands. But most live bands I've seen would be better off dead. <laughs> Once people left Ireland to find work. But you, daughter, you were born in England and left me to find happiness in Ireland. A salmon spawn returning to its beginnings, to Dublin and Galway, your father's land. Drawn by the rain and the mist, a grey magnet, electric, compelling, ever sure. Dublin, grey and wet with tears, Lonely, lost, lunatic forever. You will never return to me. It is me that will swim the seas now. Looking forever, not for an El Dorado full of gold, but Ireland, place of dreams, tears, and lost children. For the sea is deep down, and I cannot swim over. Neither have I the wings to fly I wish I'd met with a handy boatman who would ferry me over my love and I in Kilkenny it is reported the priest wanted some of us to go out the back and some out the front so we could corner them but that never happened the boys just tore out the front half to give them a good hiding. Anyway, at the church, uh, the stabbing happened. Your men didn't know where he was stabbing. Danny, it could have been his heart, just out of panic, he stabbed him. Then we captured him and brought him back and locked him in the waiting room. When the police came, Danny was still lying on the ground, bleeding. The priest said, give him first aid. Oh, now, says the police, he might have AIDS. Has he got AIDS? When the ambulance arrived, they tried to put the fella who who'd done the stabbing in the ambulance with Danny, because he was after getting a right good hammering on the head. The police says to Denny afterwards, you're not going to press charges, Paddy, are you? The guy's that it was his birthday. He had a few drinks and was just out for a good time. You won't press charges, will you, Pat? I'm not scared for life, thanks be to God. 
not the prettiest thing I ever wanted to happen to me. The worst about it all is I can't claim because I was doing the double, you know? I can't claim and I haven't seen the boss about it yet. I'm going to go up and try to get some money off him. And if I do, I shall go home for a couple of months. Three of us were going down on the tube train. We were laughing. Well, English people don't laugh down there. We were taken off by the police. They said we were down on the tracks, standing down on the tracks with a girl. They took me friend away to Paddington Green. We went up there after looking for him. I says to the copper behind the counter, where's our mate? Fuck off, says he, or you'll be the other side of this in a minute. Hassle. They have an answer for everything, the police. You should be a mastermind. And if they didn't know the answer, they could arrest Magnus Magnuson. One time I heard about a squaw. From a lo I met a load of lads, where most of them were skinheads. You know, one of them had a crucifix, tattooed from his forehead right down to his chin. Jesus, it was fantastic looking at him. I bet I can go into mass. Well, they told me about the squawk going up in Kilbourne Park. So I went up and I got in. There was furniture there. There was a television there. And there was a cooker as well and a sofa. All stuff taken out of skips, you know. Well, I stayed there for a couple of nights. Come back one day and my clothes were gone. Come back the next day, so the furniture was gone. Came back the next day, the place was boarded up. Then I moved down to a squat in Wembley. Two West Indian blokes came, ar came around after two days and told me I better leave or they'd have to stab me. That street was their street and the Irish had their own street. So I went. I've done concreting, trench digging, pipe laying. I like labouring for pipe layers. It's what I like. It's hard but it makes you strong. It's long but it pays well. And when the job is done, the pipes are down, that's it. Complete. I'm unemployed at the moment, but I have to see a fellow tonight about a job. So maybe I'll be alright. I phoned 15 companies yesterday for work on national insurance cards, but none of them had any cards for me. They don't want men on cards. They don't want unions. They only take you on a casual basis, indirectly through a subcontractor. The subbies have destroyed whatever the unions achieved. They have dug the law out of the road. I've been doing the building since I was 17. There's nothing new to me. The only thing I've never tried building is an atom bomb. But I expect I'll get off soon enough. You do the day's work, you get your day's pay, and that could be you for another two weeks. A lot of the boys who go up to the Broadway these days are doing the double. So the DHSS are investigating it. It's not the boys looking for work, it's the subbies they're more interested in. It's tax evasion, you see. Basically, you can get off with the excuse if the DHS caught you. It was your first day at work, and you're going to sign off if you get a steady job out of it. The subbies, though, if they are caught, then it's up the river with them. You find the subbies apprehensive about lifting boys at the Broadway. In the hostel, you get subbies coming in. I want three, four men labouring. The worst of it all, worse than the work, is getting somewhere to live. I know four fellas living in a room, ten foot square, one in the bed, two on the floor, one on the settee. Thirty-eight pounds a week. The hostel here is unbelievable. You've got satellite TV, your own room, the lot. It's excellent. A great start to life in England if you can get in. You start sleeping in doorways, shelters, kips, squats, bed and breakfasts, mates' floors. Then if you're lucky, bingo, the hostel. You stand a chance from then on. You're on your way up the ladder. Uh, I'm John McHugh. I'm working as advice worker in a hostel here in, in northwest London. I thought, I thought the, the play tonight was, 
it was really excellent and it was very authentic. Uh, it really had to be because uh, it was um, directly came from the young people themselves and I think it was, uh, I mean, I hear those stories every day. Um, they're in different forms, like, but they, it gave a huge variety of the experiences of young people coming over. Uh, the only danger with a production like that is that it might, uh, when seeing it all together, you might say, well, those things don't happen, uh, but they certainly do. And uh, it did reflect, I think, a lot of the, the confusion and the, the difficulties that um, settling down in London uh, involves for, for so many young people that are coming over now. Do you think it is uh, too introverted? Do you think it would alarm uh, people in the Irish community here that it appears to give such a grim picture of what Irish immigration to Britain is like? Uh, I think it should alarm uh, anybody uh, who is complacent about the, the situation of young Irish uh, coming to London who are obviously ill-prepared because um, I think it was reflected there so many times that uh, they just didn't know what they were letting themselves in for, whether it be for accommodation purposes or how much money to bring with them or uh, arrangements made with friends or about work. Um, and they're just being ripped off so many times again and again in, in so many different ways. And uh, I think that came across and uh, there was a, a humorous side to it, but uh, I think the humorous side to it was, was also a kind of a, it's an Irish way of, of, of dealing with a, a crisis situation, uh, a kind of to, not to laugh it off, but to see the humorous side of it and, and, and get through it that way. Uh, so while that sounds humorous and comes across as very entertaining, uh, in a situation like tonight, uh, it's not so funny uh, when you're, when, if you're caught in the situation uh, that so many of them are. Uh, Shane Connerton, uh, how did you come about to put that material on stage? Well, I was doing a play called The Hostage at the Tricycle Theatre and, and, uh, a, a, and a woman called Ethna Flynn who was working at Conway House brought a load of the lads from Conway House to see The Hostage and I met them in the bar afterwards and I said to myself, these fellows there about ten of them look and sound just like I did myself when I emigrated in 1960. And I said, this, uh, this is still going on, emigration is here again, just like when I emigrated. I must do something about my own community, and that's how I started. And what, did, what method was involved in putting the material together? Um, uh, bringing all the lads together and the girls together and getting them to talk about their stories and um, record their stories and then type it all up. And get actors to perform it? Get actors to perform it, but the actors who perform it actually are all immigrants themselves. And they're all living in rough conditions, and they're all looking for work, and they're all just as desperate as the rest of us.